nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. That's been the focus of our series as we're about a month into this Born in the USA. And uh, if you are first time joining us for this series, uh, you can catch up and see the connection between being born in the USA and Daniel. Uh, you got to remember Daniel about 2,600 years ago. Uh, his, his city, his nation uh, was invaded. It was destroyed. His parents most likely were killed. And he, with some of the other noble kids, uh, were dragged off to Babylon. And uh, it was all about getting them into the culture there. And even though, even though there was an immense pressure to conform, uh, there was an immense pressure to lose his identity as a person who uh, loved God and all of that. He's 12 to 15, probably more like 15. Even though there's all that pressure, he doesn't just uh, survive in that environment. He thrives. And sometimes, sometimes for us, in the environments that we travel in, it seems like we're in the same place, not to the extent or intensity that he's facing, but we are in that intensity. And the good news, the hope, or the truth is, is that you and I can find that we can not just survive, but we can find that we actually thrive in the environment that we're in. And, uh, and Daniel is a great example at any age, in any stage of life. That's what he does from 15 all the way into his mid-80s. Uh, he does that. And so we can learn a lot uh, from this right now young man. Now, one of the other things, a part of his life, a part of feeling trapped, a part of uh, being stuck where he's stuck, is the fact that uh, he gets asked to do, in a sense, the impossible, and often for us, when we see glimpses of the impossible, uh, we're kind of excited, we're kind of engaged, it kind of causes us to lean in, we see somebody doing something impossible. And a few months ago, I came across this uh, little clip of these guys doing things that are impossible. Oh, hey, it's cold out there. 
the impossible was impossible. Now, I got to give you a warning. If you're under uh, 35, don't try these things at home. And, uh, and especially men of any age, don't try these things at home. <laughs> Wives right now are going, no, now he's got a bad idea kind of thing. So don't do that. But, you know, we're fascinated by the impossible. And we could see that uh, really that was impossible. Uh, they were doing, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to know how many tries uh, every time they took to finally get it to look like uh, the impossible was possible. But Daniel himself finds him in something, in a situation that literally is impossible. And he's got one chance at it. And yet somehow it comes together. And you and I, as we live life, find ourselves uh, in impossible situations. Uh, sometimes it's the demand of school, and it literally is impossible, we feel. And we go, wow. Sometimes it's our financial situation. Sometimes it's our work environment. Sometimes it uh, is our relationship. Sometimes it's our uh, time with our spouse. Something just seems impossible. Maybe it's a health issue, and it just seems impossible. And it seems just so heavy that we just want to say that that's just impossible nobody can do that and that's exactly where Daniel found himself in there there's a little descriptor above this from Daniel uh, chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 out of the message it says nobody anywhere can do what you ask what you are asking is impossible and no matter where you're at in life you're either coming out of one of these situations where uh, you're getting on the other side of it and the impossible has kind of fallen into place, or you're in the middle of it and you still don't really have too much hope because it just feels impossible. And then some of us are not in the impossible, but it's on the horizon. We're going to find ourselves in these situations regularly. And there are some times where we're going to get into these situations and they never give up. We like live in the impossible. And Daniel and his friends and his life, uh, again, give us some hope and give us some direction about how to navigate those impossible times that we find ourselves in. Sometimes we create them ourselves. Uh, sometimes they're created for us. Somebody puts that on us. There's just no time to do this. There's just no resources. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the capacity, whatever it may be. And, and sometimes it's just living in this world. There are situations that just seem impossible. And Daniel helps us with figuring that out, he and his uh, three friends. So I'd like you to open up to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, you can do that with one of the Bibles you'll find around you if you want a paper Bible. Most of the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, that's page 613. You also can do that uh, on your electronic device. We're really excited about uh, version. You hear me say that week after week after week, but many of us have smartphones. Many of us have tablets. And if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can have uh, the Bible, God's Word, Daniel, chapter 2. You can have it right on your phone. And wherever you go, because everyone takes their phone most of the time, everywhere they go, you can have that with you. And that's just an awesome, one of the awesome things about being born in the USA, born in this time, is that we can carry it with us anywhere we go. So Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 1, page 613. And if I didn't say this earlier, if you don't have a paper uh, Bible, please feel free to take that one you find uh, around you as a gift from uh, Seneca Community Church. 
So we start off. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. There's the idea that if Daniel was 15, he's now 17. He's in a three-year program of learning and becoming a Babylonian, understanding the culture, understanding all that they do. We've talked about the fact that uh, uh, magical cult kinds of things was all a part of that, satanics, all this kind of stuff. When he went to school, he wasn't just learning uh, mathematics. He wasn't learning the language. He was learning all this other stuff. And sometimes some people will say, well, I feel a little uncomfortable with, you know, the system we're in. It was not as bad as this system. This system was crazy. So he's two years in, probably 17 years old, a year to go, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers. This is what they were trying to make Daniel and his friends into, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Seems like a reasonable request for his staff, his cabinet, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into rubble. What? Guys, I want you to earn your keep. Guys, you know everything, supposedly. I lean into you. If I'm trusting you to interpret this, if I'm trusting you for the future and all those kinds of things, you should be able to know what my dream was and then explain it. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. All of us in this room, no matter who we are, even with that promise in verse 6, would back away from that deal. Oh, no, 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 go find somebody else. Because this is a tall order. And it's just not an order that's going to cost them uh, credibility. It's going to cost them their lives. And Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, and if you can't get this together, I'm going to erase you from existence. Your house is going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. It'll be like you never existed. So, this is the impossible place these men, these enchanters find themselves in, these, these magicians. So, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain what you're trying to do is gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situations will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Again, he's looking at the whole system. I don't know what is in his heart, but uh, he, he, he wants these individuals to do their job and to do well because he's feeling he's been snookered a little bit along the way. 
Sometimes we felt that where, where, where somebody seems to be kind of not really that accurate and they kind of hear our heart and they kind of seem like they're making up baloney. And, uh, and he's getting this idea and he doesn't want anything. He wants to see if these guys are worth it. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious, he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Cabinet's gone, all his administration gone, and that includes that includes Daniel and his friends, because they're a part of that segment. They're training to be what these guys are, and Nebuchadnezzar says, "I'm done with all of you. I'm done with the training program. I'm done with this." So, so this is this is this is where it is. This is impossible. I love the fact that this is so impossible because it makes my impossible things that I recall or maybe I'm going through, it makes them seem not as big. They may be impossible, but they're not this impossible. Now, before we get in to start picking this apart, I, I want to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail, and it's this idea, predicting the future. Predicting the future. Uh, in, in our world... Uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's world, uh, predicting the future w- was a big deal. If you could kind of forecast what was, what was going to happen, that was a big deal. Uh, it's interesting, if we went back and looked at some Older Testament uh, passages, they would say, the way you know someone is good at predicting the future is that they get it right every time. Not 90% of the time, which most of us would think that's pretty good. If someone's doing our investments, our finances, and they're telling us where to put things, and, and they're 95% or 90, even maybe 85% on the ball, we're, we're feeling pretty good with that. But in Old Testament days, God says, if they don't get it right all the time, then they're gone. So predicting the future. And so some of us, uh, all of us to some degree, would like to know what the next day, the next week, the next forecast of life has because in a sense it would make us feel a little more at ease it would give us a little peace it would we could maybe control things a little bit better if we knew how the weeks were going to unfold the months were going to unfold the years so it's something that's kind of we all all want and Nebuchadnezzar wanted it too and he was paying a big price to have all these people so he wanted them to to see if they really were there but the reality is that only God knows God only knows the future. No matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're thinking, uh, there might be some ideas, there might be some concepts, there, there might be some consequences for this action, but the reality is nobody out there apart from God, apart from connection with God, as we see in the, the Older Testament here, it can predict the future. God only knows Solomon writes about this when he says, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? Sometimes you and I get suckered into it. How many of you remember Y2K? Boy, that was scary, wasn't it? You know, no. 
you know, I actually did a sermon series leading up to that because people were freaking out. I had people saying, you know, we had to go build a cabin somewhere out in the woods and put all our food. I may have mentioned this before in other settings, but they would say this to me, Dave, we ought to do that. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a real good idea. You know, I'm a pastor of this church, and we have this great disaster, and I go up into the mountains and weather the disaster, and once it's over, I come back to the church. Hey, how is everybody doing? You know, that doesn't sound like what I should be doing if it was a disaster. But everybody was freaking out. And, um, you know, and, and I can remember, uh, it was fun, the night of uh, the, night of, uh, the uh, great moment, we watched a couple movies that, you know, talked about it just, just, being terrible, and we're all watching and going, what if this is really going to happen? But obviously it didn't, here we are today. So no one knows the future, but we get worked up with it. We get, we get fooled into this whole idea. Another verse, Solomon says, no one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what has happened at, will happen after them? Uh, there's just this constant idea of we want to know the future, we want to have the peace of knowing the future, we want to know what's going to happen, but uh, again, we, 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 we want it to have peace and we want to be able to trust in that. I mean, even Jesus gets into it when he says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows, end of the world stuff, when, you know, he's coming back, all this, not even the angels in heaven know, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is the idea, this is the concept Nobody can predict the future. There might be some indicators this is happening because of this, but no one can rest in any of that kind of a thing. You know, who remembers what happened August 21st, 2017? What? Okay, all right. That's not what I was expecting. Big surprise. I didn't know that. That was when that big eclipse happened, you know, across the country. And everyone's like, you know, what's this mean? And all this kind of stuff. And this is unbelievable. Uh, they forgot to tell you that uh, from some research I saw that every 18 months, an eclipse like that takes place. It just doesn't take place in the United States. So every 18 months, there's something like that going on. And there was all this, this fear about what that meant. Sometimes you hear about blood moons, planets aligning. Remember 2012? See that movie, 2012? You know, you know the, I forget, some South American Incas, Mayas knew something we didn't know, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it just keeps happening. There's, there's tons of books that are 10, 15, 20 years old that were bestsellers that all talked about all this stuff, and, and now, you know, you wouldn't use them for a doorstop. So, you know, it just, it just continues on and on. Uh, a guy named Ed Stelzer says this, when it comes to all these things, uh, just, some, just some ideas on, you know, getting all worried and worked up about this. He says, for those few spe um, spreading fear about an eclipse or those kinds of things, you're embarrassing Christians and not representing Christ. Uh, to the journalists who highlight Christians who see the eclipse as a sign of the end, it's not honest reporting. For any American, th for any uh, thinking, uh, an American, uh, you know, viewing the eclipse again as a America is an America central thing because you know we think everything rises and falls on the United States, prophecy wise, everything wise, and we forget there's this greater, bigger world. 
And it's just not about the good old USA, even though we're born in the USA. There's a bigger world going out there. And so sometimes we're so American-centric when we think of these things that we forget there's a whole other world out there. And see, focusing on eclipses and all those kinds of things uh, and all these kinds of predicting the future really distracts us from focusing in on Christ. Now, with all that said, I will say this, that this idea, when there is no anticipation in the future, no hope for the future, there is no grit in the presence. So as a Christ follower, as you look and see what Scripture says and what Scripture points to, and, and there's some ideas and some concepts, um, it's not that it's God's to mislead us. It's just this idea that uh, God wants us to know that there is a future, there is an end times, there is all these things, these coming in the future. That, that should give us grit for living in today. So when life does get hard, when life is difficult, when we are faced with the impossible, when we're, we're trapped, all of a sudden we have the grit because we know there's a new day coming. When we celebrate communion, many times as we wrap that up, we talk about longing for the day that Christ comes back and sets everything right. But to know that exact day, to scare people that exact day, to sometimes use that to sell books... Is, is wrong. So we need to understand that. But yet to have hope and anticipation should affect the way you and I live in the here and now. Because we know that day is someday coming. Not in your uh, message guide notes, but a very familiar verse to many of us is this from Paul. Paul says, so that at the end, the name of Jesus at the, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Someday, someday, all of us, all of us have lived, are living, will live, will take a knee at Jesus. And so knowing that, we don't know when, but knowing that should, again, affect the way you and I live today. So there should be in effect. It should give us grit to stick with things, to follow him, understanding that that day is coming, whether that day is next week, whether that day is 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now. It isn't to be the focus, because we're not going to figure it out. Jesus says, no one knows the time. Sometimes I've kind of joked being a little sarcastic. You know, that's really not me being sarcastic, but I said, the minute, you know, God's upside in heaven saying, on May 6th, that's the day. And then somebody on the planet goes, I think it's going to happen today. Whoop, God's out within a race and no one knows the time. We've got to move to another day. So you keep anticipating it all the time. You're just pushing it out. So stop doing that. Stop playing that game because no one knows the day. So the minute someone on the planet goes, this is the day, it's erased and moves out to some other day. No. All right. So no one knows. God knows. Also, we need to realize that psychics and mediums are fakes and frauds. Psychics and mediums are fakes and frauds. In Isaiah, we read, I make fools out of the fortune tellers and frustrate the prediction of astrologers. Their wisdom is foolishness. Most of the time, it's a con game. You ever remember watching that show, The Mentalist? 
Some of you, I love that show. And what he would do is he had pretended he was one of these medium kinds of things and they got in some trouble, but then he joined the police force and he could just read people. He was so good at it. You know, if he was like interviewing someone, he'd, he'd like hold their arm and he could tell what their heartbeat was doing. And supposedly by the heartbeat, he could measure whether they're telling the truth or not. He could just read people that well. He could read the icon, all that kind of stuff. And so they thought he was kind of like one of these guys, but he wasn't. And he freely admitted that, 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 that I'm not one of those guys. A lot of times in these situations, that's the kind of thing that's going on. If you find yourself ever wanting to call one of these psychic hotlines and they ask for your credit card, you ought to say, since you're a psychic, please read my credit card back to me. You don't need me to give it to you. They should be able to know that, right? Don't fall for that. There are times where there does seem to be something more going on, maybe some supernatural kinds of things. When that is going on, I would say that that's a satanic thing. Some of us may not believe in the fact that there's this devil and there's evil forces. The more craziness that goes on in the world, some of the more of these shootings that go on, I realize that's just not the evilness of one heart all the time. I think something else is going on there. So anytime you get information or think you're getting information, even if it looked real, even if it was accurate, it is something that we as Christ followers are to stay as far away as possible from. Don't dabble in the occult or traffic with mediums. You pollute your soul. I am God, your God. You know, we're very mindful of the environment and pollution. We're very mindful of what we put in our bodies. Are we mindful of what pollutes the soul? I think a lot of us play on the edge with polluting our soul. We're more freaking out about what's in our food and what isn't in our food, but we're not concerned about the soul. We're all concerned about gluten, and that's, for some people, that's, that's, that's absolutely a real thing. One of my kids has to deal with that. But, but we watch that, watch that, we watch that. But we don't guard our souls. And you can just think about that. Next time you turn on the TV, how are you guarding your souls? Next time you read, how, where are you looking? Uh, you know, what, you know, those little links on Facebook where it says, you know, look at what they look like, you know, here's these stars from childhood stars. Now look at what they look at, and you're like clicking on going, wow, boy, you really did get ugly as you got older. That's amazing, you know, and, 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 and you go, well, that may not be corrupting my soul or polluting my soul, but it's just a waste of time. Why, you know, like something like, why do I even care? You know, that's sad, you know, you know, what, who, you know, pictures of this, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, you know, and that seems really innocent, but, but, but we, we really, and we let these things in. How are you guarding your soul? So don't dabble in these things, even the innocent things. When people joke about their horoscope, I think that's on the tip of the iceberg. I stay away from that stuff. Your source for information in your life, if you're a Christ follower, is God, not any other source. Don't play around with that stuff. Um, just stay away from it. I talked before about Ouija board, all, all that stuff. It's just breaking down some of the, the, the guards that we're supposed to have. This is a spiritual world. It's just not a physical world. It's a spiritual world, so we need to watch out for that, and we don't want our souls being polluted. 
I set my face against anyone, this is God saying this, who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves uh, by following them. Uh, You know, none of us who are married would like our spouse getting a kiss from another person. Wouldn't like that. Wouldn't like that at all. In a sense, when you and I go to find out information, when we go out to find guidance about how to live our lives from anyone else but a God-centered place, we're kissing somebody else. And that's offensive. The one that is our Savior and our Lord. We need to stay away from this stuff. We need to watch out for this stuff. I like what uh, Rick Warren says about this whole idea. God reveals only what I need to obey, only what I need to obey him in the moment. He wants me to trust him for all the rest. You see, God wants that relationship the same way, and I'll go back just a little bit. I don't want to get into it too much, but you know, the same way when, when someone's married and doesn't have a physical affair, but they have an emotional affair with somebody else. It's not good. It's not good. Wherever that line is, line might be a little different for each person. When, when your emotional needs are being met by somebody else besides your spouse, wrong. You've crossed the line. Big time. It's the same idea with God. When your spiritual needs, when your direction and guidance is coming from any place else but Him, uh, it's it's the same thing. He wants us to, to, to trust Him and obey in the moment and trust Him for what comes down the line. And what's wonderful is we have a loving God, we have someone we can trust. So so we should be able to lean into that. We should be able to relax. In a sense, we should be able to climb up into his arms, sit on his lap, and be okay that he holds the future. And we just wait to see what happens, knowing he's a part of it. So as we think about this, uh, just this whole idea of that, we move back to this idea of the impossible. So why the impossible? Why does, why does this even happen? Why are we placed in impossible situations? Why do we place ourselves in impossible situations? Why does God seem to sometimes drop them right into our laps? Uh, you know, why, why does that happen? And I come back to a, to a verse that many of us are familiar with, but I think it speaks into this. It's more focused on temptation, but I think it also is this idea of looking at the impossible as a, as a test, as an opportunity. So we read this, no temptation has overtaken you. I might even say no moment of impossibility has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not place you in an impossible situation that you can't navigate through with him. But when you are tempted, when you are placed in an impossible situation, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And that's kind of like, what is, there's two ideas there. He provides a way out, but he also provides a way so you can endure it. Sometimes we're in impossible situations, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an escape. We can get out. Sometimes there aren't. So he gives us the ability, his 
actual presence and power. He gives us those things so we can endure it. And I don't like impossible moments. I don't like feeling under the weight of that. But when it comes to experiencing God's presence and power, I like that more. And I'd rather trade off and have a few more impossible moments and be able to really enjoy his presence and power than to have no impossible moments and never need his presence or power. It's, it's, it's worth it. But the Lord, please not this afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> when I think of this, I think of this little vignette from a movie called Walk Across Egypt. Hey, I can't get in that thing. Why not? I'm afraid of them. You what? I'm afraid of the water. You're afraid of the water? You mean you can't swim? Who knows? Hey. Sometimes our impossible moments are just like that. Feels like God pushed us in. He's left us to drown. He wants us to learn some lessons. But the reality is the ground isn't that far away. And we can make it. Not always, but sometimes that is what's going on when we're facing these impossible situations. We can bear up under them. Like this quote, when we become aware that life will give us more than we can handle and come to grips with this, we find a promise. God is faithful to meet us in the mess and in the pain, and I added the italics, and in the impossible. We find that he's there, and it's great to find him there with us. Some of us are so Fearful, we've trusted him for our eternity. We've trusted him for our salvation. We've trusted him for the next chapter of life, but we don't want to trust him for now. So that's why we want to know the future. That's why we want to run from the impossible rather than embrace the opportunities of the impossible and find ourselves able to depend on his presence. Depending on his presence, it's a sweet moment when you have the mind to realize, wait a minute, I'm trusting him in this moment. He's present. The impossible is huge. But within my heart, there's peace. I love those moments. I don't like getting to those moments, but when I'm in that place, 
It's awesome. I do want to say this, that when it comes to these kinds of opportunities of impossible, sometimes you and I are putting ourselves in the impossible moment. It's by our decisions. We, we've, we've, we've created this moment. And then we need to ask God to bail us out. Now, he, he's very gracious. But many times, if you were to take inventory of the impossible moments in your life, you would find, I would find, that, wait a minute, that wasn't something God pushed me off the dock to teach me how to swim with the ground below me. It wasn't that this world is a broken place and I'm just stuck in it. It was because I did A, B, C, D, E, F over a few weeks, over a day, over a year, and now I'm in this place. I created the impossible moment. And God is gracious. God is helpful. But if it took you five miles to walk in, it's probably going to take you five miles to walk out. So in those moments, don't blame him. He'll help you, but don't blame him. Very fun one I can talk about is I remember in the early 90s, I was a two Big Macker at a visit to McDonald's each time. I would eat two Big Macs. And, and this is one of the reasons why I ate two Big Macs. Not my fault. Amazing, but true. Right now, you can get two tempting Big Mac sandwiches for just $2 at McDonald's. What you want is what you get at McDonald's today. Of course they... Two Big Macs for $2. Wow, that was a long time ago. That's when you used to ride your horse to McDonald's. But anyway, <laughs> it's way back then. But, but... And so, you know, that, that's supposed to be you take your wife to McDonald's and you give her one Big Mac. and you. I ate both of them. And I pushed close to 300 pounds. And it was, you know, and it was, it was I, you know, I was a bigger boy than I am now. And um, it was impossible to, 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 to kind of slim down. But that impossible situation was because I was eating two Big Macs. Some of us, are eating two Big Macs. And so we have brought on the impossible situation into our life. And you just got to come to terms with that. God is forgiving. God is gracious. Sometimes even the people around your life can be forgiving and gracious. Sometimes not. You've, you've burned some bridges. You've eaten two Big Macs too long. But, but you just, you have to come to terms with that. So, so don't blame the impossibility on somebody else. See it in your own life. God is there listening for all who pray, for all who pray and mean it. And to me, mean it isn't mean it in just the second. It's mean it with action. Lord, I need to lose weight. Help me to lose weight. Help Big Macs to have less calories in them. No, that's not the way it works, Dave. You need to eat one Big Mac. No, no, you just need to get a cheeseburger the next time you're out. No, you just need to get one of those disgusting salads. That's what you need to, you know, you know and mean it. And so then the next time I go, I don't get two Big Macs. I actually get a salad. Then all of a sudden, God says, oh, I guess he really meant that prayer because he's actually doing what he asked me to help him do. I, I, I can work with that. But I'm not going to magically change the, the structure of a Big Mac so it's zero calories. Not going to happen. I could do it, but, but you need to, you know, that's not happening. Pray it and mean it. 
Never let the presence of the impossible cause you to doubt the presence of God. Don't let that happen. Don't go down that road. I say this often, especially around Christmas. Uh, just because he seems to be silent doesn't mean he's still. And all of us probably who've walked with Christ, walked with God for a while, can think about times where it seemed like he was deathly silent, but then we discover he wasn't still. Enjoy his presence. Don't let uh, the fact that you don't aware of it think that he's not actually present. Also experience his power. Presence and power. Paul says this is a famous verse. Probably most of us ought to memorize it, hold it dear to our heart. Paul says this. But he said to me, God saying this to Paul, Paul had some impossible things that were in his life. And in Paul's situation, the impossible things were not going away. He wasn't going to get to the other side of these. These were things that were going to be with him all the time. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says this, all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Have you ever had a situation where people look at it and go, how are you making it? How are you doing that? How do you navigate that difficult place? And it becomes apparent that has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God working in and through you. And what's wonderful about those moments, even though they can be painful, even though they can be hard, is then that other person gets a glimpse of God in your life and makes them start to think, does that have any relevance for me? If that God can carry Dave through this or Susie through this or, or Joe Smuckatelli, whoever his name is, through this, then maybe he can help carry me through my impossible whatever. Paul goes on and says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, in the impossible moments. For when I am weak, I am strong. Probably heard something like this said before. Until God is all you have, you may never realize that he is all you need. And it's not a challenge, but I think sometimes we don't buy into that. We try to keep our life together. And it actually turns out to be a gift when we come to the end of our rope ourselves because we realize it isn't in our control, isn't our ability, because, because all we need is him. Because we can't do it on our own. So that, that's actually a gift when he does that to us. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do with the impossible. This week, we looked at why. We looked at a little other background. We'll start off next week with looking at don't panic or be afraid. Uh, it's amazing um, how um, Daniel responds and his friends. Uh, it says, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. A 17-year-old. How does he do that? How does he deal with the impossibility? We're going to look at probably six or seven things next week, what to do with impossible situations when they come our way. And our bottom line is really this, is impossible is possible. 
Impossible is possible. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what weight, what impossible situation you may have come in today with. But I want you to leave with the hope that it is possible. The impossible is possible. And we'll talk about how next week. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are just uh, blown away by this young man's life, Daniel. We're thankful that it speaks to us these many years later. May we hear the message. May we see the message. May we also live it. Father, I don't know what heartbreak someone may be carrying right this moment, but I ask that as they, as they leave this place, they'll leave with at least the idea that there's a possibility for hope, that it's possible to, to take and give you the impossible. And Father, if anyone here has not come into relationship with you, has not said yes to you, I pray that that might even be the starting point for them to get into this idea that the impossible can be possible. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for your power. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.